Thank you guys for leading us in song. Um, if you want to open up your Bible to 1 Timothy 4, we're looking at verses 6 to 11. If you, um, if you don't have a Bible and you like one in your hands, if you want to just put your hand up, we'd love to put a Bible in your hands to follow along with us, if anyone. Okay, we got one back here. That's just something we want to build this new habit of just if anyone comes and you want, you want a Bible, we all want to read along. We want to be in the scripture together. Uh, so want to develop that here. Unfortunately, I often forget as I start to get going here this morning. So just as we, um, before we read God's word, it's a skill testing question. I'm joking, it's not. Does anyone like exercising? Actually, sorry, you didn't have to put your hands up. I, li- I like that, though. Anyone like ex- Like, it's good. It's good to take care of your health, right? Get, you get a little stronger, build up your, your stanima. It takes time. It takes effort. Eating right. But what happens? You, you end up, you see growth. That's good. That's a good thing. But I want to talk about a great thing, <laughs> I want to talk about growing in godliness. And growing in your relationship with God. And again, it's very similar in that it takes time. It takes effort. It takes eating right. But you grow. You grow closer to him. And the difference is, as we're going to look at here this morning, godliness has a benefit both now and in the life to come. And so there's this analogy woven into our passage of exercise, of training. I'm going to use that to pull out, talking about training for godliness. And if exercise is not your thing, that's okay. You can just do away with a lot of the analogies and take in the actual application of growing in godliness. If you want to stand with me as we look at our passage here this morning, 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 11. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all the people, especially of those who believe, command, and teach these things. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. And just before going uh, further, I'd just like to, again, go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths we have here. And I pray by your spirit, you would speak through me. You would give us greater understanding. Lord, you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are open. And Lord, I just pray uh, that we would have a a growing desire to grow, a growing desire to know you. That even as I speak, as we go through this, Lord, you would reveal things in our life that are, are pulling us away from you, that are stopping this growth. And you would help us to see the things that we can run to as we're running towards you. Oh, Lord, give us that increasing desire. Lord, bless this word. Now I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I've titled the, the message Growing in Godliness because I don't want to come up with original titles at all. It's that simple. That's my desire is that we would see kind of how to grow in godliness. We would have a greater desire to grow in godliness. We'd see the steps we need to take in growing in godliness. If we look at verse 6. Together, the first thing I want you to see, and again, kind of pulling this analogy through, in order to grow in godliness, we need to eat right and follow a trainer. We need to eat right and follow a trainer. 
But first, as, as we begin this, verse 6, we notice it looks back. As we've been going through this letter, if you've been with us, Paul writes here, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. If you put these things, what are these things that he's referring to? He's referring to what he has said previous within the letter. Maybe he's referring to what he just mentioned in verses 1 to 5 in chapter 4. We looked at a few weeks ago as he's talking about false teachers in their church or in their midst who are teaching that you can only eat certain foods, they're prohibiting marriage, and he's like, no, that's totally false. God's blessed that in his word. We need to celebrate those things. So maybe that's the things he's saying. Hey, if you put those things before the brothers, and brothers mean brothers and sisters, those in the church, you'll be a good servant. I think he's actually also talking about all that he's said so far, as in chapter one, where Paul gave clarity on what is the gospel. Right? As these false teachers were coming in, they were pulling people away to following rules and regulations to be made right with God. He says, no, it's Jesus Christ. It's what he has done. If you put these things before the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. If you look at chapter 2 as he talks about prayer and worship and the way at which it ought to be done within the church, as he looks at leadership, this is how you ought to organize the church. If you put these things before the church, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Paul continues to highlight this throughout the letter. He'll tell him things, and he's like, and do these things. Even at the end here of this section, verse 11, command and teach these things. Timothy wasn't just going in and just like, yeah, you figure it out. You teach what you want. There was very specific things he was supposed to teach, as we're going to see. I love here, though, that Paul calls him. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. I don't, don't know if you saw that. A good servant of Christ Jesus is kind of like an identity marker. I think often at times these days we can struggle with identity, who I am, what am I about. Paul calls Timothy a servant of Christ Jesus. This is said to Timothy, a very significant leader within the early church. If you think Paul, an apostle, uh, one of the 12 apostles, but then Timothy, this leader, going into different church situations, calling people to leadership, casting out false teachers, disciplining people, this significant leader, a servant of Christ Jesus. That is how he's identified. That's how he's identified to Jesus Christ, a servant of Christ Jesus. I just, just thinking, how do we relate ourselves to Jesus? It's not, Jesus is not our homeboy. We're servants of Christ Jesus. God is not a genie. As we'll see, he's the living God and deserves all our worship, adoration, our whole lives. I just lo I love that as he's writing, hey, remember, Timothy, you're a servant of Christ Jesus. This was, a, this was like the highest leader in the church. You're a servant. You serve others. And how is he to serve others? I want us to see here. Continuing on there in verse 6, he was serving others by being trained and by training others. By being trained there in verse 6 in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Paul is exhorting him. And this word being trained, other translations talk of being nourished, of being built up. By what? Like, Timothy, as you are being nourished, as you're being trained in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed, like, as you're being built up by that, that's what you're building up other people with. That's what you're training other people with. I want you to see this. What are these words that he is being trained by or being nourished by? It says the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. For sure, this includes the gospel, like, Timothy, be trained in the gospel. Be nourished on the gospel. Remember, Jesus Christ died for your sins. And he rose again. He reigns at the right hand of the Father. And your only hope is in him. It's not because of anything that you've done, Timothy. You're a servant of Christ Jesus. You need to be nourished. You need to be built up on the words of faith and of the good doctrine. The good doctrine surely, I think, means the word of God. What well, we have, scripture. We've seen this word already here in this letter in 1 Timothy 1. At the end of verse 10, talks of sound doctrine. 111, it, that's in, in accordance with the gospel, the glory of the blessed God. 
Sound doctrine, the word of God. Paul's basically saying, Timothy, the words you proclaim to people as life and truth, you need to feed on yourself. You need to live on yourself. That's what you need to be about. And the reason you know you need to be about it because you have followed other people. They have taught you the way. So I want us to see here, I'll probably continue to say this, in order to grow in godliness, you need a proper diet consisting of the word of God, the Bible. Right? There's no other way. We need to be often opening up the scripture, not just on a Sunday morning, but for sure on a Sunday morning, we better be opening up the word of God. But then throughout the week, when we're not together, opening up scripture, feeding on the word of God. This needs to be our our main meal spiritually, if you will. Not YouTube or podcasts or sermons. That can be a supplement to our faith. But our main meal spiritually needs to be the word of God. Just like I can snack on granola bars, and I do from time to time. You know, you're in a bind, but you're not sitting down at the meal, open up your granola bar and put it on your plate, chop it up. It's a supplement to what you normally eat. But friends, that's if we're always like listening to podcasts and YouTube and other sermons, good sermons, but not the word of God. That's like feasting always on granola bars. We need to be about the word of God, nourished on it, built up in it. Think about this, how significant it is. I want to tell you about this man named William Tyndale. He was a, a preacher, a reformer, a Bible translator in the 16th century. He's one of the first who brought the word of God into the English language. And before that, he was locked up in jail, then later on martyred. And while he was in jail, just suffering, he wrote the person who was in charge of getting him things. And this is what he wrote for. A warmer cap. This is part of his letter. A candle, a piece of cloth to, to patch my leggings. But above all, I beseech I beseech you and entreat your clemency to be urgent for the procurer, that is the person, that's their name, that he may kindly permit me to have my Hebrew Bible, Hebrew grammar, and Hebrew dictionary, that I may spend time with that and study. He's in jail. He's not saying, get me out of here. He does ask for a few things, but above all else, get me the Bible. I want to study. I want to feed on it. Timothy, that's what you need to be about. So we need to feed, we don't have to have the right diet. And I want you to see this, though, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. This reminder of Paul to Timothy, this is what you have followed, this is what you have seen uh, before you. I just want to bring your attention to 2 Timothy 1.13. Who has Timothy followed? For sure he's followed Paul. 2 Timothy is the end of Paul's life writing to Timothy. And he writes this, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow, follow what I've taught. He says in in chapter 3, verse 10 of 2 Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. Timothy, follow my life. Follow everything I have. Who else was Timothy following? Look at 3.14. As for you, continue in what you have learned and, from, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writing, which, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Timothy had this example growing up of his mom and his grandmother. And they taught him the scriptures. So he had this example to follow. How do you nourish yourself? How are you trained in the word of God? Well, look at the example of your mother and your grandmother and and, and now Paul in his life. So just think about this. He had these people training him, if you will. Timothy is following Paul, example of his mother and grandmother. Timothy was at the same time calling other people to follow him. That's what's interesting, right? Hey, if you teach these things to the church... You'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, but remember to nourish yourself with the word of God or train yourself with it as you have followed others. That's the Christian walk, right? This is how it works. We need to follow other mature believers' examples, but also at the same time call other people to follow us. 
And if you think about this, I just want you to, to know this, you know more than you think. Often people are like, yeah, yeah, I want to follow somebody else, but I don't want someone else to follow me. How many years have you been a Christian? If you've been a Christian for five years, you can say to someone who's like a year in, five months in, hey, this is what I've learned so far. You can follow me. I can teach you. And even people who are more mature in the faith, it's always like, well, who are you investing in? Yes, we all want someone else to like be a model and learn from them, and we should have that within the church. We should have those relationships, but then we should also have other people. Hey, you're, you're younger in the faith. Yeah, why don't you follow my example? I don't know everything, but what I do know, I'd love to teach you. I'd love to show you. Again, I just want to highlight, like, well, where can we do that? Again, we need help in kids' ministry. If you've been a, a believer for a, a number of years, I think you can teach a little one about the love of Jesus Christ and, and, and teach them some of these stories. This is another place where we can train others. We can pass on the faith. So a way to grow in godliness, of course, is feeding on the word of God, learning from leaders around you, leading and teaching others what you know. This is how we're to grow in godliness. Looking at verse 7, I want us to see that action, action is required. Training is a verb. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Here we see two commands. We see two commands. One like negative, like don't do that. One positive, do this. Of course, again, we get this if I pull this analogy of, of exercise, of like wanting to get in better shape, eating healthy, right? Maybe you're like, you want to add certain things like fruits and vegetables, greens. Everyone loves their greens. Maybe there actually are people who do. <laughs> and then you want, to, you want to eliminate things, right? Maybe donuts and chips, all that really good stuff. <laughs> really tasty, but you right, you want to add and subtract. Right? Like if you're training for something, maybe you want to add more sleep. You want to get more sleep and you want to maybe subtract partying into the night. I'm not talking about the morality of that. I just mean like in growing as an athlete. In order to grow, you can't do both. So Paul, talking about growing in godliness, what does he say? Have nothing, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. It's actually a command. Silly myths, worldly fables, old wives' tales. This, I think, is, is touching at the false teaching that Paul has already addressed. They seemingly, the stuff that he's referring to, rooted in the Old Testament of, of rules and regulations, of like going to like just places and like this is it, this is salvation, going away from Jesus Christ, getting distracted. Friends, I just, just thinking about this, don't get sidetracked in the faith. As we, as we look at that, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. I don't know what it is in your life, what it is that you have that may, is pulling you away from glowing in godliness. Each of us knows maybe what that is distinctly. What's taking your time? What's taking your thoughts? What's dominating your heart, but it's pulling you away from God? We need to do away with that. You need to subtract that from our life, and then we need to grow. And how do we do that? It says, train yourself for godliness. So the one command is to turn from this. Other command is to train yourself in godliness. This word train, undergo discipline. What does it mean, godliness? I've been saying it a number of times. What do I mean by that? In 1 Timothy 3.16, already Paul has mentioned, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness, which then he points to Jesus Christ. In, in, in 1 Timothy 6.3, we see, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, it's a, it's a change in your life. I, I would define godliness as this. Godliness is faith in Jesus Christ that's reflect, reflected in your life. A faith in Jesus Christ that's reflected in your life. A life that looks more and more like Jesus is growing in godliness. So you just think about this, godliness, ultimately we want to touch every area of our lives. We don't want to keep our faith in a box, right? Like, oh man, I'm, I'm really godly on a Sunday morning. 
We want it to break all the boxes. We want it to grow in godliness on a Sunday afternoon. We want to grow in godliness throughout the week. We don't, want, we don't want to just be like, man, I'm really godly when I'm around my Christian friends. But we want to be really, we want to be godliness, more Christ-like when around people who don't know the Lord or when we're by ourselves. Train yourself in godliness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. A discipline. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So when we're talking about training and godliness, we're, we're talking about discipline, being disciplined in our lives. Howard Marshall says this, the thought is of the spiritual discipline which helps a person to become godly. But I want you to maybe catch this before we talk about training and godliness. Maybe you already heard it. What is the source of godliness? In 2 Peter 1.3, Peter writes this. Speaking of God, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. The source of our godliness is Christ, right? It's not that like, hey, we need to do something, we need to work something up, but ultimately first it's our faith in Jesus Christ as he changes and transforms our lives. God is the source of our godliness. God empowers us to be godly. It's a work that he does in us. But then I want you to see this as well. First Timothy 6.11. So the source, the source is Christ Jesus. First Timothy 6.11, Paul exhorts Timothy, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, pursue love, and continues on. We are still, even though the source is Christ, God does that work in us, we need to pursue godliness. We need to actively pursue the Lord. We need to walk out our faith. We need to go after it. It needs to flow from our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not like here's a list of things you're doing to be closer to God. No, because you love God, because he's at work in you, you want to draw closer to him. And so then we think of the spiritual disciplines. Train yourself for godliness. I'm only going to cover a few. A good book on the spiritual disciplines is one by Donald Whitney. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. If you'd like to learn more about that, think more through that. Because the thing is, why do you need to train yourself for godliness? Friends, we, there's not a spiritual life hack. There's no app for it. There's no cheap code. You know, we have so many things that we can just like, okay, let's get really quick. Okay, just, just sum it up for me. Let's just speed that up. You cannot entrain yourself for godliness. I think the only way that you can speed up the process of growing in godliness is suffering and trials. So how do you train yourself for godliness? How do you seek God? First, of, of course, you're, you're going to know what I'm going to say. Prayer. I believe praying. We talked the last time, talked about praying before a meal, thanking God for what we have. What are the things that we pray and bring before God? Well, worshiping him, thanking him, confessing our sins before him. And of course, we all have many requests. There's so many things to pray about. There's, there's so much going on that we need to take before the Lord in our country, in our province, in our city, in our homes, in our schools. So we need to grow and be people of prayer. How do you grow to be a person of prayer? It's like, how do you do more push-ups? You, you start to do more push-ups. No, really, right? So maybe you're like, man, I, I want to do 10 push-ups. Maybe you can only do one, so you do two. So how do you grow in your prayer life is you start to pray. You start to find more times where you pray. And as you pray, as you're seeking God... He's at work in you. You grow in godliness through developing a greater prayer life. Of course, as I've already said, you read the Bible. We read the Bible. And does a plan not help? 
And what I mean by that is so pulling that analogy from the gym. What if someone went to the gym and they wanted to work out, but no plan? No plan. So they're like, I don't know, my right arm's stronger than my left, so I guess I'm just going to work this out because it's, it's, I can do it better. And I kind of like doing uh, all this exercise over here. And just like randomly going about, they're not going to really see much growth. You kind of need to be more structured. Why do we think spiritually in reading the Bible, like that's going to be the best? I don't know. I'm going to read from here today. I don't know what's, what was said before. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to read from. That doesn't make sense. Yet God, he still uses it. He really does. He can still speak to you that way, but why wouldn't you like, okay, maybe if you're new in the faith, I'm going to start to read through a gospel. Maybe it's like, man, develop the habit of like a couple, couple verses. A couple verses at a time. Or maybe you're like, yeah, okay, I've read through the gospel. I've always said, okay, read through the New Testament. And why make a plan? I don't know about you, but when we don't know what to read, we always go to our favorite book. And I know many people, hey, what are you reading? I'm reading Romans. Like, again, man, do you know God, there's 65 other books in the Bible? So that's one thing. Also, while we have a plan, it keeps us from always going back to what we know. There's other things God wants to teach us. So have a plan as you're reading through Scripture. Pray and read the Bible. I don't know about you. I love Christian biographies. I love to read of saints of the past, of the things that they've done. It encourages me. It motivates me. It wants me to know God more. God's way bigger than I could ever think or imagine. But every Christian biography I've ever read of a godly saint, I've never once read one where they didn't love to pray and read the Bible. They're men and women of the word and of prayer. Growing in godliness. We need to be about that. Another way we can grow in godliness, train ourselves for godliness, what we're doing right now, gathering with a local group of believers, the church, a place to know, to know people and be known. As you get to know people, a place where you can be encouraged. You can have an example put before you. You can have accountability as you get to know people. You can invest in others and them invest in you. And I think also a place where we can be shown our faults. Like, because the reality is I think we can all be really godly if we're alone, right? But then it's like, then we, we talk with other people, and maybe we're like with different personalities, and we rub each other the wrong way, and that's actually God's grace in the church, that we're not all alike, we're not all on the same page. And it'll help us to grow. Help us to have charity for each other. So pray, read the Bible, gather with a local group of believers. And as we're talking about kind of these spiritual disciplines, and maybe I already hinted at it, aim at consistency and then build the habit. And I, I, I just mean even just like, man, I'm not, when you're saying, hey, you don't pray, you can pray at meals. Add it in one minute to the day. You don't read your Bible, hey, start to, maybe in the morning you read a few verses. Just consistently do that and build on it. And I think the problem is often we're like, oh, okay, I don't, I know I need to. And so a few days you just go, okay, I'm just, I'm gonna read the whole book of, the, like, of this section, I'm gonna pray this long. And the next day you're like, I don't have time for that. So we need to just build consistent habits. And then we can, we can add to them as time goes on. And as, as we're doing that, here, I think here's a big thing. As we're seeking God, we're seeking to grow Live in the light that you have been given. Like, I mean, as you're reading the Bible, you're praying, we need to be obedient to what God is showing us. Like, that, I think that's very key. Live in the light you've been going. If, if, if God says go, you go. If God says no, you're done with it. If there's a relation, you're praying, you're reading, you're like, I don't think I'm supposed to be doing this anymore. Okay, you got to let it go. And that's how we grow in godliness. I don't know if I, I shared this in, I forget, I forget when it was, I don't know, November, December. I was praying. It's a good thing to pray, but watch what God will do. Like, hey, Lord, what is there in my life that's not pleasing to you? Show it to me. And I'm like looking over here. I'm like, yeah, is there something over here? What's in my life that's not pleasing to you? Instead, he's like, oh, I've been streaming from my parents, Sportsnet and TSN, watching basketball. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I was talking about. All that needs to be gone. 
and I need to get it myself. Even, I watch it the odd time, right? I can argue about why it's okay. Live in the light you've been given. So as you're praying, as you're reading the Bible, and you're like, Lord, come on, teach me, what is it he puts his finger on and we need to deal with? And we be obedient to that, and we grow. J.C. Rouse said this, habits of good and evil are daily, daily strengthening in your hearts. Every day you're either getting near to God or farther off. So I read that one more time. Habits of good and evil are daily strengthening in your hearts. Every day you're either getting near to God or farther off. So to grow in godliness, we need to train ourselves in godliness. Action is required. Looking at verses 8 to 9, continuing on in the letter, I want us to see the value of this training, motivation. I think that that's, that's the key, just thinking again of physical exercise, or you, know, you can have this idea you want to do, but motivation is the key. If you're not motivated, you could have all the plans in the world, all the things, but you're like, yeah, I'll get to that tomorrow. So I want us to see what's the value of training in godliness. And I hope it adds to each one of us a greater motivation. Paul says in verse 8, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. Bodily training is of some value. Paul uses this word, bodily training. He takes a word for vigorous exercise be well known, and then start to use it for uh, spiritual purposes. Of course, in Paul's area, or in, in Ephesus, where Timothy was at, they had gymnasiums every, everywhere. There was a focus on athletic ability and health. The Olympic Games were in the area. They're influenced by Greek culture. So they would understand the word that he was using. Bodily training, vigorous exercise, is of some value. I want us to see this it's of some value. Other translations, there's limited benefits. So in that, we shouldn't look past that. We should look after our bodies. We should take care of our health. Even Paul writes later, 1 Timothy 1, 5.23, to Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Like, look after your health. Just, just think about this for a second. It's more of a contrast, but physical exercise or bodily training is of some value. Eating right, exercise, thinking about caring for our health, sunlight, fresh air, time with people we love, mental health, you know, it all boosts your immune system, doing all of those things. It's got to be more than wash your hands and then stay apart from people, <laughs> right? We know that like physical exercise and being with people you love and being outside and eating right actually boosts your immune system. That's actually, God gave us an amazing immune system. And that's a rabbit trail, and I'll come back to <laughs> But I just want us to see that it's, it's good. We should aim to do it. It's good stewardship of our bodies as we can. We should take care of what we've been given, right? We wouldn't have a vehicle and never change the oil and just drive it into the ground, either for our own bodies. We should take care of what we've been given. May God help us grow in that. But I want us to see, why does he say it's of some value? It's good, but it's temporary. It speaks of the temporary nature of this life. Because you could exercise, you could be in the best shape, your body's going to break down, you're going to die. Just think about this, the quickness of our life. James 4.14, James writes this, What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I just want to bring this before our eyes this morning. That's how quick our lives are. Last summer, we were on holidays. We went to the White Rock Beach, Vancouver area. As we were walking out, we saw this artist. As the water was out a bit with his stick, he was making this beautiful artwork in the sand, these beautiful designs. Like, oh, it's so nice. In a few hours, the tides come back in, and it's gone. No one even knows it, it exists. That is like our lives. That's how quickly they're passing. Physical exercise is of some value. But godliness has value both now and in the life to come. But in that, I want us to see that how quickly our lives are passing. I think it's hard for us to grasp that. And in saying that there is a life to come that we should anticipate, we should get ready for. Friends, we would never go on a trip and pack nothing. Say you're going to Camor for like, I don't know, skiing for like five nights. 
Someone, a friend picks you up and, and you, you got nothing. Like, you don't have a bag? Oh, no. It'll be fine. We're going to the mountains. Snow, like, we would never be ill-prepared for something as small as a, a little holiday. How about the life to come? That's why, like, motivation, training, and godliness has value both now and in the life to come. An old saint, Matthew Henry, says this, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. So think about what is the value now? It holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Think of the value of godliness in this present life. You have peace with God. Which, how amazing is that? Romans 5.1. We actually have this lasting peace with the creator of the one who made everything spoken into existence. Actual peace, joy, joy unspeakable. That's, that's probably pretty good. Led by the Spirit of God, growing in godliness. We talked about last week, walking in the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us. As we're growing in godliness, we're having our, our brokenness changed and transformed, right? I know we're all works in progress, but as we grow in godliness, God is at work in us, changing us. As we grow in godliness, there's a blessing in following God and his ways, living with integrity, honesty, working hard, kind of following all the Proverbs. It generally goes well with you. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. And all those things talking about, it's talking about food and clothing. If we seek God, if we run after him, he'll provide what we need. There's a blessing to following him in this life. Just want to turn our attention to Mark 10, 30. Mark 10, 30 talking about like the cost of following Jesus. What will it cost you in this life? Kind of Peter questions that. Jesus talks about the benefits. Peter, and looking at verse 28, Mark 10, 28. Peter began to say to him, to Jesus, we see we have left everything and followed you. That's the cost, right? It costs us everything. What is the benefit? Verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. And in the age to come, eternal life. And I'm sorry, I, I didn't actually mean to skip over that. Mothers, children, and lands with persecutions. That's also a guarantee that we get in this lifetime. There's a blessing of following the Lord. Even coming back here to Red Deer and planning this church and getting to know many of you, there's a blessing for just being obedient to the Lord. But then there also is this guarantee of persecutions. We don't want to miss that. First or Second Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like this, this is this guarantee. This is one of those things that will speed up godliness in our lives as we go through it, as we experience it. But for sure, that's another reason we need to grow in godliness. We need to keep fixing our eyes on him. So when the trials continue to increase, man, we turn, we trust in him. We've developed the habits. We're praying. We're reading the Bible. We have a strong relationship within a local body of believers building each other up. So there's a blessing of the life that we're in and having godliness, and there's a blessing in the life to come. Think about this for a moment. Think of heaven. Revelation 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Like that, that's a beautiful thing. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Death and destruction, disease. Neither shall there be no, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. 
The former things have passed away. Like this is, this is the benefit of godliness in the age to come, heaven. Loved ones who have passed away in the Lord will see again. In heaven for eternity, eternal life. And of course, the most important thing, I'm like, do I put it first? Do I put it last? Eternal life with God. You're going to spend the rest of time, or not time, eternity, with the inexhaustible God. Like getting to know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in ever-increasing measure. Like, I don't know, we're all very interesting people, but if we spent, say, a week with each other just talking, I don't know, would we exhaust? Like, yeah, I think that's all. You know everything about me. <laughs> Maybe it'd take an hour for me. I don't know. But for God, all of eternity, and we're continuing to understand more and more of who he is, and we'll just be like jaw-dropping, wow! Wow, and we'll never come to the end of who he is. Godliness, it has value both now and in the life to come. Man. And so why, why should we go after godliness? I pray your motivation is growing. Again, look at verse 9 in 1 Timothy for the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In which saying, I believe it's that bodily training is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. That's a trustworthy statement. That's something you need to take. We need to internalize. We need to grab hold of. We need to stand upon, build our lives upon. Friends, this should motivate us. This should inspire us to pursue godliness. Train ourselves for godliness. Seek to grow in our walk with God. And as we do, look at verse 10 with me. We need to stay focused on the goal. And really, I just mean stay focused on God. If we want to grow in godliness, we just stay focused on God. Verse 10, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all the people, especially of those who believe. And in looking at this verse, I just want to look at the second part first, talking about doctrine, who is the Savior of all the people, especially of those who believe. The Savior of all people. Is God the Savior of all people? Some people come to this verse and just read that, and they say, oh, yes, all will be saved. It's called universalism. It's the savior of, that's what it says, the Savior of all people. But then you look at other scriptures, other scriptures that would clearly contradict it, like Matthew 25, verse 41, Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats, talking about the end of the age, Talking about this, this separation between the sheep and the goats. And he says to the goats, Matthew 25, 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Or verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment. God is he's the savior of all people. And then you could think of, of you go many places, but Revelation 20. Verse 11 to 15, the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne. This is the end of days. And him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Look at this, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What? No, what? it says Savior of all people. But not all are going to have salvation. Not all are going to heaven. So I want you to see here, as we look at these other scriptures, I don't think that's talking about salvation. So what is being said? Is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe, or particularly of those who believe? One commentator, Robert Yarbrough, 
speaks of John Calvin talking about what does Savior mean? And Calvin stresses the terms meeting here as one who guards and, and preserves. Paul's argument is that God's kindness extends to all men. I think that's actually what's being said. Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Savior of all people is talking about God's common grace. God's kindness to all. Thinking about Psalm 145, verse 9. David writes this. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. In Matthew 5, verse 44, just thinking of God's common grace, God's grace for everyone, where Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Hear this. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It's God's common grace that everyone, we, we, all, we receive life. We receive health. We receive food. And so I think that's what's being said in a sense. In the savior of all people is in God's common grace to all people. But for sure, as we look at that passage, especially those who believe, specifically those who believe, those are the ones whose names are going to be written in the book of life. We believe, how do you have your name written in the book of life? By believing in Jesus Christ. By confessing your sins. Okay, I don't want to follow my own way anymore. I'm, I'm turning away from that, and I'm looking in Jesus who died for me. I'm believing in him. I'm trusting in him. That's, the, that's how we, we're going to go to heaven, by faith in Jesus Christ. So going back to the start of this verse, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. That's where we want to keep our focus. Paul and Timothy's hard work in the ministry, they're working for God, laboring, they're going after it. It was tiring, it's not easy. Like questioning, like, well, why should you keep going? Isn't the Christian walk is actually, it's actually hard. <laughs> it's not like, yes, yes, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. We even talked about last week, and like everything starts working out. Like, no. Actually, it can get a lot harder. The whole world's going in this direction. You're like, I want to follow Jesus. Like, I guess actually I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm going in the flow. We're going, sorry, against the flow. This world ruled by the devil. It's a fallen world. It's broken. Doesn't want to live for God. And even in ourselves, brokenness, we're like, no, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to go after him. It is a hard path to walk. It is a narrow path. But just think about this. There's a wide road. It's easy. It's smooth. It leads to destruction. There is a narrow road. It is hard. It is a struggle. There's persecutions to come. It's not going to be easy. It leads to eternal life. Paul's reminding us, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. Paul says to Timothy at the end of first or second Timothy, what is his hope? 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hope set on the living God. What's wanting one day to hear, well done and good and faithful servant? But where else can we set our hope on? We can, we can try to set our hope on the future, even just the near future. Experiences. Ah, oh, if I can just do this one thing. Pleasure. We can set our hope on people. There is, oh, if I'm just with that one person, things are going to work out. We can set our hope on money. 
my bank account, if it just gets to this one place, like we can be focused on that. But what is it like if you're, if you're walking in a, in a big field and if you want to go on a straight path, you've got to like fix your eye to something. And if you fix your eye on something ahead, then, then you'll walk straight. That's what it's about. There's so many things that we can grab our hope on and it'll grab our feet. But if we can fix our eye on the living God as we're growing in godliness, and he'll, he'll guide our feet, he'll guide our steps in the right path. Don't pour out our lives for the temporary. Build our lives for eternity. Grow closer to God, the living God. I just want to just throw down the analogy I've been using here for a second, talking about exercise, talking about growing, relating that to spiritual growth. There's a big difference between the two. So people who go to the gym, I don't know if you've ever been there before, as you're working, as you're getting bigger, everyone's kind of looking, everyone, you know, there's always someone bigger. You get stronger, though. Like, you work out, you get stronger. That's just reality. As you grow in godliness, you get lower. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. Paul and Timothy, servant of Christ Jesus, as we grow in godliness, it's less about me. It's more about him. It's more about others. That's what the analogy really breaks down. As we grow in godliness, it needs to be more focused on the living God and serving others. Oh, I pray that we would grow. Paul says to Timothy, verse 11, command and teach these things. And we will in our church, and we will continue to command and teach these things. I pray you saw we are to grow in godliness. We are to feast on the word and to find godly examples to follow after. We are to actively pursue godliness by pursuing God. I hope you saw the benefits of godliness both in this life and the life to come. And by God's spirit, may we keep our focus on him. May we grow in godliness. May God be praised. May he change and transform each one of us that we can say, no, no, I have done nothing. It's God who's done everything. Let me tell you about him. If you'll bow with me, I'd like to close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord. I pray you would do that work in us. Lord, we are the clay and you are the potter. I praise you that you give us the strength through Christ to be godly. You give us godliness from his life. And yet still you call us to walk in it, to grow in it. Lord, I pray you'd help each one of us. I pray you'd seal this word in our hearts. I pray you'd give us greater motivation. Lord, maybe where our hearts are off and thinking about this, correct us. Lord, where our eyes are focused and we're hoping on other things, help us bring our, our attention, our heart, our desires back to you. And Lord, do this work in us ever increasing uh, for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name. Amen.